to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. We are starting a, a series in, in Matthew today, a brand new series. We're looking forward to the, you know unpacking Matthew and seeing what God's saying to us through Matthew. And it's good to do the, the Gospels. It's, it's the words of Jesus, isn't it? The actual words that he spoke, a lot of it. Anyway, my dad used to say, the only things I fear in life are fire, wind, water, and breaking mum's little blue plates. <laughs> he was referring to our mum, his wife, who had purchased two Wedgwood plates direct from the factory in England as a teenager in the 1930s, which kind of made them pretty special and pretty valuable. This really is too high. <coughs> no, mate, they were for show. <laughs> yeah, so as, as for the, uh, the fire, wind and uh, water, these were things which in excess, had the potential to ruin a lifetime's work, as we've just witnessed in this nation. Too much wind, fire, and water can be devastating. So I've called this message uh, Wind, Fire, and Water. Is that the order right? Water, fire, and wind. Yes, water, fire, and wind. Because throughout Scripture, these physical elements in the natural are likened to the cleansing and transforming power of God in the spiritual. And as we begin our new series today, my challenge is that we prepare our hearts for the cleansing and changes that the Spirit of God wants in us all. Our reading today concludes with these words. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. These are strong words from John the Baptist. And they actually paint a clear picture of judgment and warning at the start of Jesus' ministry. And we hope to be you know, in this Gospel of Matthew for some time. And that, that verse was from Matthew 3, verse 12. So let's turn there. Turn to Matthew 3. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to read 1 to 12. Now, in those days, and that refers to the few verses before, while Jesus was living in Nazareth, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Didn't do much entertaining, is our John the Baptist. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, 
Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to, from these stones to raise up children to Abram. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. As for me, I baptize you in water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and am not even fit to and I am not even fit to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up all the chaff with unquenchable fire whoa from just these 12 verses uh, we actually gain quite a, a clear picture of john the baptist and his ministry there are a couple of other references to john in in scripture but these are the main 12 he was a straight shooting fiery prophet with a rough appearance who would not get too many in invitations to social events I can imagine. Let's be honest. He was radically different. And he had, uh, he had few, if any, sociably acceptable uh, filters <laughs> that would allow him to fit in uh, into most groups in the city. He was a, a wilderness guy. His ministry made him a loner. And this was fairly, uh, you know, this was fairly standard for God's Old Testament messengers. But what made the difference was that his mother was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. In Luke 1 verse 80, we see that he became strong in spirit himself and he lived in deserts long before his time to speak out. There's a cost to being effective for God. We know him as the outspoken forerunner to Jesus. But before that, John had learned to wait on God. He had an intimate relationship with the God of Israel and was filled with the Spirit ahead of his time in history. You know, people came out primarily to, to hear and see John because he had the Holy Spirit on him, but also because unlike the Pharisees, he was the real deal. Today we'd say he was authentic. His words matched his actions, verse 7. And in verse 7 he starts by saying, You brood of vipers, sorry, verse 7 is where he says, You brood of vipers. Was he always that blunt? He, he discerned the religious leaders were only coming out because of curiosity, fear of being exposed in their hypocrisy, or even maybe because of envy, because he, he had a greater following. To humble real people, he would have been gracious. Rather than being the bad cop that made Jesus look like the good cop, he would have had compassion for the poor in spirit and been strongly opposed to the proud and unteachable. Jesus himself was in fact just as strong and straight shooting towards those who had no mercy. 
due to their high estimation of themselves. He drove out the stallholders with a whip in the Gentile space where they were putting profit over worship in the temple. So really, Jesus and John both displayed the goodness of God and the severity of God. Did you catch that? The goodness of God and the severity of God. They went together. God is holy, yet relatable. He's relatable to those who seek him. If we go back to the Old Testament, we find that God gave the people of Israel the law through Moses because they were slaves and they needed clear guidelines. They had slave mentality for 400 years that even needed permission to go to the toilet. God wanted to, thanks Jack, God wanted to free them of slave mentality to allow them to become a people of heartfelt praise and obedience. He brought the law. But in order to arrive at that point, they needed rules. So for us today, in a very different world, he's coming to relate to us in a completely different way perhaps. He is ready to heal, restore, and redeem our brokenness case by case. Yes, the law still applies. We, Jesus fulfilled the law. But are you struggling today with the fear of man and what others think of you? You're not alone. The Word of God says that the fear of man is a snare. And the Holy Spirit enables us to be bold by, by repenting and then living a righteous life, i.e. doing the right thing by God and others. It's an incredible uh, weapon against the enemy. However, our real difference against the enemy's lies that we aren't good enough is accepting that once we have Jesus in us, we are enough. I mean really knowing that. Do you really know that? The law was given as a standard of God's holiness to expose and highlight where fallen man should be at. The Bible tells us it's like a schoolmaster who trains us, teaches us righteousness. The law is like dust on the table when the sunlight hits it. The law shows up that there's dust there. Without the light shining on it, we don't see it. Its purpose was to protect and provide freedom when the law's boundaries, uh, within the law's boundaries, sorry, so as to live peaceably. That was God's plan, that we live peaceably. But to the rebellious, it seemed too severe. The law seemed too severe to those who were independent and strongly, fiercely rebellious. Does that sound familiar in our everyone is right kind of world in their own eyes some have only known the severity of god this may be a little bit diversing here but our childhood experiences of our earthly father may have etched up a picture in our soul of our heavenly father being just like that we relate to god in the same way we related to a, a strict earthly father a strict punishing father may not allow us to accept that god wants good things for us 
instead of a healthy fear of authority, we may be now fearing God like with a cringing fear, sure that he's going to withdraw love if we stuff up a soft, get-away-with-anything kind of dad, will also taint our view in an opposite way. We can end up treating God as a kind of Santa Claus whose job it is to give us whatever we want. Selfishly, we simply expect to be pampered through life at others' expense. Both extremes of parenting are unhelpful. If we've known either these or worse still a missing in action dad, then we may need help to accept the true nature of our Heavenly Father. Praise God, he made a way for us to fulfill the law through Jesus. Amen. The law is helpful in showing up our need for a Savior, but without Jesus we could never reach the standard of holiness God requires for believers. In other words, the old covenant didn't work. It was for a season. The new covenant came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. It was a superior covenant. Let's get back to the scripture. In verse 6, we see where we... um, I'll read it. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So if you're taking notes, this first point is water. Only Jesus displayed the qualities of true godly character. But John, as his forerunner, shows us what a set-apart spirit life looks like. John's calling was unique. But we must remember he was the last of the old covenant prophets. And as such, the wrath of God's judgment was coming to any who did wrong. The only remedy was a baptism in water. Because water was used in the old covenant to represent cleansing. Combined with strict obedience to the law from now on. This would have been John's teaching and background. Only this in John's eyes would bring salvation to the humble. But to the proud, his message was, the axe is ready to chop you down. Verse 10. The only way to avoid unquenchable fire was to bring forth fruit in keeping with their repentance. So in keeping with the message of the Old Covenant, John's message was to display compliance to the strictness of the law, repent and be baptized to show you'll do better or face the chop. (laughs) It's a hard word. The next point is fire, verse 12. To make straight paths means to live true to everything about the law. This quote from Isaiah 40, verse 4 and 5, goes on to say about ravines being filled and mountains being flattened in the original prophecy in Isaiah. It sounds a bit like the Puhoi motorway, doesn't it, (laughs) Stefan? Stefan worked on that project where the hills were massive and the valleys were needed filling or bridges built. What is this about? Valleys being filled up and mountains being brought down. 
Sounds like a scooping job to me. But anyway, this is really speaking about pride. Pride being brought down. Pride being leveled. And false humility to be brought up to a real true humility. This is still true for us in the new covenant. So John did his job. John did a good job of warning and preparing hearts for change. Pride being brought down, false humility being brought up. Little could he know, though, that just how much Jesus was to change in the new covenant. He knew Jesus was the main event, and he knew that he wasn't even worthy to remove his sandals in verse 11. And he knew Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But he still didn't fully understand how this was possible. John jumps ahead to the final judgment by talking about the wheat in verse 12. You know, the winnowing fork was to separate the the grain from the chaff by shaking. We might need a bit of shaking sometimes, I think, eh? You see these modern harvesters going around from job to job? Massive, big, wide head that folds up. Really, those harvesters are just a modern winnowing fork to separate seed from chaff. And finally, wind. Where's the wind? So John speaks of fire, the fire of judgment. He speaks of the cleansing power of the water at baptism. But what about this wind? His Old Testament mindset couldn't really yet comprehend this. The thing about wind is, unlike fire and water, it comes and goes, but you can't see wind. You can only see the effects of wind, as we found out a few weeks ago. Four beautiful oak trees, bomf. This refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was about to usher in the invisible inner working of the Holy Spirit to live in people. That's cool, isn't it? This was to be a sign of the new covenant. God's people would finally know the power to actually live out the law written on their hearts. John's task was to complete. Oh, sorry, John's task was complete. He had prepared people's hearts for repentance and baptized with water. And now Jesus was to usher in the new covenant. John laid the way, paved the way. And in a sense, John's message of preparation and repentance is what we celebrate now as we come to communion. We need to say sorry to God. We need to prepare our hearts as we remember all that Jesus said and did on earth. It reminds us that we need a saviour. As, as we prepare our hearts, it brings us to a place of repentance and godly sorrow. You see, sometimes people trying to make a, an apology and they say, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. But godly sorrow is apology with no but. We need to 
find in our hearts that place where we can be truly repentant before God for the way that we've thought, we've acted, and we've spoken. We've acted selfishly. We've lacked compassion and mercy. We've shown, you know, a lack of love. We've spoken harshly to others, and, we, and we've carried resentment and unforgiveness in our hearts. So as we come to this table now, let's, let's pray. Let's just take this moment to pray. Oh God, we are so sorry for the hurt we've caused you. As we come now to your table, we wish to repent of those things. And we ask that you renew our hearts and minds through the power of your spirit, which is now available. Praise God. We seek your grace and your mercy now as we come together to celebrate all that this meal represents. Amen. I believe maybe those little blue plates could represent people that we want to deeply respect. And maybe we should fear that we, we hurt them. That's the respect we should have for one another. Mm. Let's, you know, bring all that to the table and just offer it up to the Lord. Yesterday, as I was um, preparing in my mind the word for the communion today, the word grace just kept coming and coming to me. And this is the meaning where it's the undeserved favor of God. God meaning. There is another meaning, which means equipping for the journey, equipping for the ministry. But the meaning that it's the undeserved favor meaning, that just came to me as what we were to do as we, as we come to the table today. It's God's grace and mercy that motivated him to make a way back to himself through Jesus. Perhaps John the Baptist didn't quite fully understand that word grace. But his job was to prepare hearts, to lay the way. Jesus fully understood the word grace. He only came because of God's grace. Grace that saves us from an eternity with no hope. And it's grace that restores relationships and allows forgiveness. Grace is the unseen work of of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. John the Baptist dealt with things he could see. Water, you know, fire. But the unseen work of the, the wind of the Holy Spirit is what convicts, it teaches us. It reveals scripture, it magnifies Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit to come and live in us and through us. But it's a two-edged sword. I was thinking about this. What the heck was Peter doing bringing a sword to a prayer meeting? Just the very night after the, the communion, the last supper, the supper together with Jesus, he's found in the garden of Gethsemane with a sword. He pulls it out at the minute that he thinks is right in his mind, cuts off someone's ear and Jesus says, hey, none of that, put that away. Grace is a two-edged sword. We've actually got to have grace for others but we also want them to have grace for us we can't get and receive grace really if we're not willing to give it amen so in this time 
let's think about receiving and giving grace. Let's remind ourselves of that last night. Matthew 26 says, I did have it marked. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, my blood of the covenant, which is to be shed on behalf of many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus brought in this new covenant in the shedding of blood and the piercing of his bodily flesh. Let's give thanks for these symbols and elements of our salvation. Father, we give you great thanks for the way that you just lived your life every word carried weight your wisdom was beyond measure and you brought heavenly perspective to us here on earth but the most significant thing of all was you were allowed sinners to take your body and whip it and break it and pierce it and your blood, your precious blood, was spilled for our sins. And so, God, we just thank you for these simple elements of bread and juice. Lord, we thank you that they just are a reminder, like a photo of you. They're just like etched in our mind, Lord, that we can commune with one another and just get things right and sorted. And we can say to the world, we belong to Jesus. And the only reason we can be is because of your death and resurrection. So, Lord, we remind ourselves again today that there should have been us on the cross. You took our place. And we just thank you for that now. You say we are worthy to follow you. We don't want to walk in a false humility that we're not good enough. We don't want to walk in pride. We just want to bring down those mountains, lift up those valleys and walk straight, straight paths for you, empowered by your Holy Spirit and encouraged by one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.